What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. I love peach tea. Man, peach tea is just... <laughs> oh, my God. And, 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 I, and I hate, hate Nazis. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Welcome to Recotopia, a happy home for recommended movies, TV shows, music, video games, foodstuffs, and more from three people you can definitely trust. Trustability varies by region, no guarantees implied. And now, here are your hosts, Chris Atkinson, Jeremy Scott, and Aaron Dyson. That's a brand new tire. Give me your keys. I don't believe this. Give the bag to Bozo, drop the gun, and put your hands in the air. Who said that? This could very well be the stupidest person on the face of the earth. Hello, everybody. It's Recotopia episode 102. I am Chris Atkinson, and I am being joined by Aaron Dyser. Heidely ho, Cinerinos. And by Jeremy Scott. I am being here. <laughs> yeah, you are hearing me talk. <laughs> Today's big recommend is Ruthless People. And uh, once again, I'd like to welcome chat uh, who have come out here to watch us on a Tuesday. Does anybody have any small recommends? It's no big deal. It's so small and light. It's small. It's tiny. It's petite. It's wee. Mine is the very, very smallest this week, so I will kick things off because I am mm. back on my food and beverage bullshit, ladies and gentlemen. I want to introduce you to a, a new drink in your supermarket. Uh, it's Liquid Death's Ice Teas. Uh, oh, wow. Liquid Death is a water brand. Uh, mm -hmm. They mostly have been known for selling sparkling water, uh, most of it flavored, with uh, very clever titles like Severed Lime and whatnot. Um, they're better, more clever than that. Um, <clears throat> I don't like sparkling water, so I never gave the brand another look. Uh, and they're like all edgy. It looks like a beer can. They're like metal and like, you know, murder your thirst is their tagline. Uh, but I did realize several months ago, they also have just a regular spring water. Um, so I bought a case of that and it was really good. Uh, spring water from any natural spring in the world, I'm going to enjoy it. Spring water's good. Just a month ago, I realized they now have tea. They have three tea flavors. Regular, rest in peach, and armless palmer. So the armless palmer <laughs> is a little bit of lemonade, lemon in there with the tea. Uh, peach is obviously a little bit of peach in there. Um, now, here's the catch. I drink a shit ton of iced tea, uh, but I drink it unsweetened. I don't like sweet tea. The only time I like my tea sweetened is when it is a fruit-flavored tea. So I haven't even had the regular one here because all three of these have 30 calories. It's a big tall boy, too. That's not a lot of calories. And they all have agave uh, in them. So they're all going to be a tiny bit sweet. But um, the lemon and the peach are amazing because any other bottled canned tea, whether it's Lipton uh, or the Arizona or whatever, it would be way too sweet. It would be to America's... Uh, you know, sugared soda flavored taste. This is just barely sweet. It's just a hint of sweet. More, maybe more than a hint. Maybe just like a hint plus one of sweet to where you take a sip and at first you're like, I'm not even sure that's, oh, there it is. And it kind of comes in at the end. And I have, I cannot drink enough of these at this point now. Uh, it's very, very refreshing. Not too sweet to that sweet tea. Um, and so there you go. Liquid death. Uh, hmm. If you like sparkling water, they got tons of flavors of that. Give that a try. I've actually had this before, um, and uh, and people who uh, listen to our outtakes will hear me talking about going to a concert, and that's that venue sold Liquid Death, and uh, and so that was the best way to stay hydrated because they didn't have like <laughs> like regular bottled water and stuff like that, but um but uh it's it was pretty good um it's it's it it's weird drinking it out of that can and it just is. tasting water yep. uh but uh after a while you get used to it and everything so i will go ahead and do my small recommend mm. there was a movie that came out in 2001 on hbo called conspiracy um a lot of people a lot of uh uh, uh 
praise has been going towards this movie, the zone of interest, uh, this past year, uh, because it, it shows, uh, it basically has the horrors of, uh, Auschwitz in the background as this German family lives their normal lives and don't seem to care about what's going on all around mm. them. This is a movie that also, uh, sort of speaks to the horror of just treating people like objects and, um, and everything. This is the meeting in which a whole bunch of high German officials decided that they would answer the question of the Jewish problem or whatever it is. And uh, Kenneth Branagh plays the general who basically just takes over this meeting. Stanley Tucci is also in this. He's sort of a right-hand man to Kenneth Branagh. And uh, Colin Firth is also in this movie. But there's a whole bunch of people who uh, go around a table and they all have their ideas about what to do about Jewish people here. Some of them just want to make it where they can't have kids anymore. And that's all. They don't want to kill people. Um, and, and then there's the question about what if there's a German guy who's married to a Jewish woman? What do we do with them? What do we do with their kids? What do we do with that? There's all this like this talk and discussion and then like the very meaning of words start getting, uh, get, getting twisted in this whole discussion about what they should do about the Jews in this whole thing, uh, where they start talking about terms of like, uh, they, they, they just start making it where, Oh, it's what better form of birth control is there than just killing them all? Um, and stuff like that. And then they're just casually tossing this around at this table. It's, it's an interesting dynamic because you're sitting there watching this and you're like, well, this guy is evil, but he's not as evil as this other person. That's basically what you're dealing with at this table and everything. People have their own ideas about what they should do about this problem. And this was the groundwork being laid for the camps and everything that, uh, that we, you know, that we have heard about so much at this point, this movie is, uh, an extremely like uh, sobering, uh, like I guess double feature. If you wanted to do it with Zone of Interest, uh, I don't know if you would want to do that to yourself, but um, but it is a very powerful movie, and uh, Branna is great in it. Of course, all the you know everybody in this is really good. I had never heard of it before. From I was going to say, I have never heard of this movie in my life. Uh, I would I would recommend it. If you are, you know, in the mood to watch this kind of thing, it is a different way. We we're used to seeing it up close and personal, like with a Schindler's List or, you know, uh, something like that. But here, when things are very impersonal, we realize how, like, I think you really just seal the deal how evil it is when it's just mm -hmm. kind of this topic is just tossed around like it's like nothing. And that's the that's the gist of it. So, hmm. Fascinating. That sounds, yeah, I'd never heard of that either. Um, man, you, I, I love both of these uh, small recommends. I am intrigued by both of them for very different reasons. But uh, mm -hmm. I love Peach Tea. Man, Peach Tea is just... <laughs> oh, my God. And, 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 I, and I hate hate Nazis. So, yeah, like, yeah. I'm, I'm, like, you know, just very different yeah. intrigue. But, but, yeah, both of these intrigue me. Um, I'm going a little different today. I'm going with a board game that is also a mobile game. In fact, I mostly play the mobile game now, though I have played the board game. Uh, this is called Wingspan. Um, this, I believe, started as a Kickstarter many years ago, uh, and it is a board game about birds. Each card is a different bird. There are three different areas where you can play your birds, like the wetlands, the grasslands, and the forest. They have different kinds of nests. They have different kinds of food they need. They have different amounts of eggs they can lay. And all of those things combined by the end of the game to give you a certain amount of points as you try to beat the people you're playing uh, in Wingspan. What I love about this game Game is there's a chess element to it in that you're always thinking four, five, six steps ahead. 
like what is the best path to the most points? Like if I play this bird here three turns from now, that's going to result in, you know, me being able to have three eggs on this nest or whatever. Or if I play this combination of birds, they work really well together so that every time I lay eggs, I also get food and I also get, you know, so there's, there's like really interesting uh, permutations, which my brain tickles my brain. So I love thinking about the different permutations. Uh, I've been playing this game a lot. I have someone I've been playing this game with. We have played a hundred games in the last, uh, you know, two three weeks. Um, so yeah, it's Did there's you always. Sleep? <laughs> well, it's nice because there's always a game going, and just when you can play, you play your turn. And if you happen to be playing at the same time, it goes pretty quickly. But it's you know, it's on the mobile game. It's it's nice because you don't have to be <sighs> locked into it. You can I just play have your a turn and physical board game version of this game. I didn't know there was a mobile game. Yes, yeah, and yeah, it's 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 a, a board game first. The mobile game, however, is also really nice because all of the different things that happen with the cards automatically happen and happen correctly. Uh, I've played this board game a few times and gone like, you know, three turns and gone, oh, I didn't take those eggs I was supposed to take, uh -huh. you know, because this thing happened and I have this card that makes this thing happen. So, and that's part of, I mean, that's part of your responsibility as a player to know those things when you're playing the board game. So that's on, that's on me, but it's nice when you're playing the mobile game that the mobile game just says, okay, now it's time for you to play your eggs. Where are you going to play them? You know, that kind of thing. The way you talked about this game makes me think you would love the civilization games. Because it's, it's possible. all about thinking 5, 10, 15 moves ahead with the move you're making now. That's the, the only problem with that game is it's crack. It's, it's one of those games that gives you that dopamine rush every five minutes and just keeps you clicking and keeps you, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll go one more year. I'll go one more year. Uh, <laughs> but... Uh, that satisfies my brain the way it sounds like this game satisfies your maybe maybe um the original board game has i think four expansions now either three or four expansions and they're basically each expansion is a new continent of birds so they're taking the birds from a new continent bringing it into the game giving them different powers i think it's the second expansion actually changes the game quite a bit it's a whole different board uh and it introduces a thing called nectar which basically can be any food uh so there's the the expansions do change the game and give it even more permutations than the base game um but i think whether you're playing the base game or the expansions um it's it's a lot of fun i'm really in enjoy wingspan and, and if you play online uh, my username is just my name so you know you can you know throw out a game and maybe i'll pop in and we, we can play some wingspan but uh but yeah i'm having a great time with it so it's good oh, stuff sounds awesome. awesome yep all right all right we're gonna get on to our big recommend i'm fine i'm fine it's just that you're so big it's so huge it's a good rule but this is bigger than rules it's bigger on the inside is it i noticed and uh, i have uh, gotten to the 1980s with my comedies of the decade and everything we're doing ruthless people this is uh the uh, zucker abram zucker production a movie that they did not write and uh, apparently had um an experience on this like they had not had before with their three previous movies where they were able to collaborate and everything apparently this was such a bad experience for them that they never uh co-directed a movie again uh after this um so uh they went on to just do their own solo stuff jerry zucker went on to do stuff like ghost and first night and things like that <laughs> after after this which was very strange considering what movies he was a part first of night is one of the most miscast movies ever even mm -hmm. if you only look at richard gear but yeah, <laughs> I think Connor is out of place there too, but Richard, okay, I'll stop. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, but anyway, the, regardless of, uh, whether, uh, regardless of the, the behind the scenes being a bad time, I think what gets on screen is, is, is really good. Um, so we'll start with, uh, our, uh, character of Sam stone played by Danny DeVito, who is talking to his mistress named Carol, about how he married his boss and he was about to die and he worked quickly to marry his daughter barbara played by bet midler he wanted the inheritance because that that guy was going to die immediately he thought but the guy didn't die for another 15 years and he had put up with his annoying wife the entire time and then he decided to make his own fortune he started he created this thing called spandex miniskirts and an idea that we will find out has been stolen 
And now the old man's finally died. Danny DeVito wants to kill his wife. So he tells Carol he wants to throw her off a bridge. He's going to use some chloroform and throw her off a bridge. And then so he comes home to kill his wife, ready with the chloroform in his hand. She's not there. And at some point, he gets really annoyed with the dog and throws chloroform at her somewhere in the backyard. This dog named Muff. Uh, he gets a call from someone named Ken Kessler, played by Judge Reinhold, who tells them that they've kidnapped his wife and he wants $500,000. He instructs Sam not to call police or media. He Any deviation from the rules and he will kill them. Kill Kill the kill his wife. So the next scene, there's a bunch of police and media outside Sam's house. <laughs> uh, we cut over to the Kesslers, Ken and his wife Sandy, played by Helen Slater, who are trying to deal with the extremely difficult Barbara. They even they get into such a struggle with Barbara, who's putting up quite a fight in that bag, by the way. Um, uh, and she falls down some steps, and they may even think she died, and it's foreshadowing to something that happens later. Um She's not scared of anything. And she's under the impression that Sam is going to do anything to get her back. Going to either send the money or he's connected with the mob and he's going to be able to get you guys and all this stuff. She's quite the pill. It's pretty obvious. Um, so the, the Kesslers then are stunned to find the media and the police have been notified and extremely quickly. <laughs> and we find out that Sam took Sandy's idea for the mini skirts. And that's the reason they kidnapped her. Now, it's pretty obvious. They are not killers, which leads to a stalemate uh, between them and Sam who wants his wife dead and the Kesslers who don't seem to want to kill anybody. They're not really criminals. And so there's that kind of a, it's kind of a hilarious stalemate because, but they don't, one doesn't know what the other wants in this whole thing. So it's, it's pretty, th Sam thinks that if he just doesn't pay, they'll just kill her and it'll be fine and whatever, but it never happens. Uh, there's also a point. I thought this was an interesting part in the movie because Ken starts talking about, we need to be ruthless. We need to stop, you know, being so nice. And you see while he says that he saves a spider uh, in the house and then lets the spider out. And then literally they step on the joke. I'm wondering if that's the joke that mm. they step on the joke because he, it looks like he's after talking about being ruthless, he can't even kill a spider. He's about to go back in and then he comes back out and stomps on the spider. So I, I was, I was like, it feels like it'd be better if he didn't step on the spider, but it we, was, a, it, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I, sorry to interrupt. We had this exact same conversation. My wife and I, my wife watched with me, actually one of my sons watched with me uh, last night as well. And, um, that moment he throws out the spider my wife is laughing and saying as he's saying this he's saying, like getting the joke you know because it's it's hilarious and then he comes out and steps on the spider and and it was like well the joke was already there so mm -hmm. like what is this and i i the conclusion i came to is that we're supposed to be drawing character uh, assumptions based on this in other words he is battling with himself that's what we're supposed to know about this character is he is fighting for his you know naivete slash uh you know ruthlessness uh, between it. them so that that's supposed to indicate him i think him not being able to decide which he really is so right yeah okay okay um, all right. So then we're back to Sam's mistress, Carol, who has a side piece of her own. Ooh, Girl. I love him so much. <laughs> Bill Pullman in his first so role. <laughs> he is the dumbest character of the movie easily by far. Carol hire, hires Earl to videotape Sam killing his wife, which she <laughs> thinks will be taking place later at night. And she hopes to use the blackmail to take the money that Sam is inheriting. So Earl goes to the place where the murder is going to go is going to go down the bridge and he sees a car pull up and it's someone we will later find out as the chief of police. We don't know that right away because for comedy purposes, but we will find out later that's the chief of police and he's brought a prostitute to this bridge and he's basically saying, you know what? My wife is very quiet in bed. I hate that. Will you be extremely loud? And she's like, yes. And they have one of the weirdest and wildest and loudest sex scenes that has ever been put on film. Uh, it, it gets to the point where she's hanging out of the driver's side and he's like coming out with her in it and everything. It looks like he's screwing her knee at one point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
Yes. It is difficult um, to see how sexual intercourse was happening. That is, yeah. that is yes. Well, and 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 of course, Earl, who doesn't know what Sam or Barbara looks like, thinks mm -hmm. that this is Sam and Barbara, and the uh, the screaming and everything. And, and maybe that's kind of the point is that it's so beyond what actual sexual intercourse is. It does look like she's, he's killing her <laughs> in this thing, but he Earl definitely thinks that, uh, that, uh, that's Sam killing Barbara and he can barely look at it, but he's got it on tape. And so he takes the tape to Carol who pops it in and just sees arms and legs and stuff like that. And then she's like, Oh, I can't watch this. This is so gross. And everything. So, uh, an Earl who describes it at the end, he's like, wow, he looked like he enjoyed it. It looked like he even wanted to have a cigarette. At the end. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 um, and, uh, but, uh, she, Carol looks at it and thinks, well, okay, she, he obviously got the murder on the tape. I don't need to watch the rest of this. And so that that's where we leave that for now. Sam comes over to tell Carol who thinks Sam has killed Barbara and that he's super excited about the media coverage and the police attention this is getting him because he thinks his wife is going to be killed by the kidnappers. She thinks that it's because he's got an alibi. And I love how they just keep on adding this, what you know and what you don't know type of stuff to every character and every uh, plot point and everything. I just love that part. Um, at the Kessler's, they have Barbara kept in a basement. She tries to escape once and they put it, they eventually put an ankle chain on her. She has a TV downstairs that she plays workout programs on. This is as eighties as it gets guys. This is as eighties as it gets. They're, uh, watching these workout programs on television, all this, like, you know, all these little exercises and crap. My God, it, it takes you straight back to the eighties when you see sure this, stuff. but there's all these workout programs. And so she decides well she's going to be down here anyway she might as well start this fitness regimen while she's being held captain ca uh, captive and so um we um this is also the first mention she's she's reading a lot while she's down there this is the first mention of something called the bedroom killer which will come in to factor later on in the movie um then on the day that sam is supposed to give the five hundred thousand dollars he doesn't show up Sam has been keeping, has, has sort of been keeping the cops in the dark anytime that Ken calls so that they don't know when the drops are happening. And, and he just, it doesn't show up. He figures if he doesn't show up, eh, they'll just kill Barbara. And, and of course, Ken doesn't. When we're skipping ahead, we see that Ken works at a stereo store where he is a really honest salesman. Like it's funny. He's, he's really, he's ready to screw over people who are dicks. You can tell that, but he only sells that stuff to the people who really like, I guess they feel insecure about themselves, uh, basically pointing to the fact that they must have small dicks if they want big, huge stereos that really don't have the quality that they need and everything like that. But you see that he's very honest with people that, uh, he feels are nice or whatever. And he tries to get the, the, uh, the good stuff, uh, to, to people i i love the scene later on that they show him this is i think this is judge reinhold's biggest moment in the movie where he's trying to sell the the one guy who's just like a rocker dude man and he's just trying to he's like he's like well come on into our big room man and then and he's like he's like it's like this is the, this is the big stereo and everything he cranks up this rock and everything and he's like and he's like He's like, oh, what? How can I fucking afford this, man? He's like, well, if you can't fucking afford it, man, fucking finance. <laughs> but then uh, the dude's wife, pregnant wife, comes in, and he's like, oh, well, wait a minute, let me actually sell you something a little and, bit more. And I think that's the that is the conclusion of that storyline that we're talking about. Like that is mm -hmm. the moment he decides, nope, I'm actually not the aggressive salesman, monster, ruthless person. I'm actually the nice guy, and that's how yeah. I'm going to be, and that's okay. So like yeah. that's his character arc in that moment, and I loved it too. It's one of my favorite moments. Yeah. Um, now Carol has sent the video to Sam, who watches it and then calls Carol. Now Sam, of course, has watched a pornographic film, uh, basically, <laughs> and she he knows that Carol has sent this to him, and he's like, and so Carol, who thinks it's a snuff tape, uh, <laughs> Sam goes, "I'm gonna do the same thing to you," <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, so Carol, fearing for her life, decides she needs to hide out and moves in with Earl in his mobile home. And there it's decided that they'll make a copy of the tape and send it 
to the chief of police, who is actually the subject on the tape. Quickly, Sam explains to one of the cops that he hates salesmen who drop their price, and then he gets a call from Ken, who does exactly that, mm. dropping his price from 500000 to 50000 Of course, Sam does not pay. Um, Carol, uh, who does not know the chief, is on the tape, calls the chief and tells him that if he doesn't arrest Sam, she'll release the tape to the press. <laughs> <laughs> the chief who thinks Carol does know what's on the tape, thinks this is a blackmail job, so now he's prepared to do anything to get Sam in trouble, including planting evidence. But he tells the other cops to go look for evidence, and they actually find chloroform, <laughs> that, of course, Danny DeVito threw early on in the movie, and then compromising pictures of Sam and Carol, and now they have a motive for, for Sam killing his wife, and they take him in. And... Um, so there's actually real detective work going on behind the scenes here. There's a, there's a forensics team that has found out that they have a match with the tire tracks of the Kessler car outside the stone residence. And so they go to see Ken at the stereo shop and uh, they're about to question him about that. And they even present him the evidence and he thinks he's screwed. <laughs> and Ken excuses himself to go to the bathroom saying he's got the stomach flu. But while he does that, one of the detectives gets a call and the other cops are saying, hey, we found evidence that uh, Sam killed his wife. So they abandon the questioning and they go over to the closed door where Ken uh, is supposedly like in the bathroom. And of course, he's got the stomach flu. He has gotten stuck in a window trying to escape the premises and uh he's making all these noises that make the detective think that he's just like really struggling in there <laughs> with the bathroom and they say we don't need you anymore we we sorry guy we're, we're leaving and whatever and they even leave and he's like still hanging out of the window and everything when they walk by and don't notice then um ken decides to reduce his price to ten thousand dollars and now sam is openly asking what the hell is wrong with him ken thinks sam is just playing some extreme hardball but it's pretty clear sam doesn't care about his wife anymore um or has never uh, cared about his wife obviously uh now we uh, cut to barbara who has gotten into some great shape uh shin this is leading to sandy uh, actually giving letting her try on her design and then Barbara loves them and wants to market them. They become friends. And this is where Barbara asks what the holdup is with Sam and the ransom. And Barbara finds out that Sam's been a cheapskate. He's he, $500,000 doesn't seem like too much. And then she realizes it's been dropped to 50 and then it's been dropped to 10. And uh, she says that we, I've been kidnapped by Kmart. So, uh, so we have uh, Sam is in Sam's in Sam's in jail. He, he makes bail. It's a $700,000 bail. I think, uh, I think it was purposely just barely above the uh, ransom amount. So it shows how easily he would, uh, he pays that money and everything, but now he needs Barbara to be alive because he's been implicated in a murder and he's all in the newspaper and everything so now he's willing to negotiate sandy tells ken that he let barbara go ken is told about the bedroom killer by a cop this is the most convenient part of the movie um <laughs> and uh and this is when the bedroom killer of course makes an appearance makes an appearance and then barbara comes back to the residence the three of them end up accidentally him down the stairs uh, much like Barbara did when she came to the residence, but this time the person dies. And so they have the bedroom killer in their basement and he has, he is dead. And then they concoct a scheme using this, using this body. Uh, newspapers fill in some more of the story, of what Sam's been doing behind Barbara's back. She, along with the Kesslers, hatch a plan to get the ransom, knowing that the cops will be all over it once it goes down. And so they call Sam and pretend to torture Barbara over the phone using a sizzling sound effect on a frying a pan, frying pan, uh, like pressing a spatula down on a hamburger or a steak or something I like hope that. That burger didn't go to waste. I know, I know, exactly. <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. I was thinking the same thing. The new figure, by the way, is two million dollars. That's how how high this uh, has skyrocketed at this point. Um, Carol once again calls the chief of police. I love this other phone conversation too, because all the things that they say to each other is just <laughs> when you realize what one thinks about the videotape and everything, the usual misunderstandings ensue on this. I love this. But this time, Carol's like, why is the chief being so stupid? Like they've got evidence of the guy of Sam killing his wife on a tape, and they're like, they don't they let him go on bail? What is going on with this thing? 
So they're like, oh, here's a good idea. Let's go to an electronic store and pop in this tape in public and put it on, <laughs> put it on like all these multiple screens going on in the, uh, in the store and everything. And that's when they realize, oh, this has, this is not a murder. This is just a dude boinking a prostitute, uh, in the car. And I love the fact that there's this, just this random sound bit. That's my husband in the background. <laughs> Um, uh, so the, uh, the plan is for Carol to send Earl to go kidnap, uh, to go kill or to go, uh, uh, to go rob Ken <laughs> when he goes, get, goes to get the ransom. So, uh, Barbara calls Sam on a payphone. She's seeing everything from her vantage point. Uh, she manages to squeeze even more out of him. This is like saying the kidnappers want the gold Rolex and the ring worth. And I think it's an additional 200 K that they put in this, in this briefcase. Um, Ken comes to take the briefcase, but the cops are all over the place. Ken tells the cops that he'll kill Barbara if they do anything. So they back off. Now Earl's dumbass shows up to steal the money. Earl ends up actually getting arrested. This is a great scene because Earl doesn't believe there's cops anywhere. And, and then gunshots start happening and he thinks Ken's doing it, but Ken doesn't have a gun. Um, and, uh, and then, but he gets arrested. So Ken, so Ken gets in the car, cops follow him. Ken appears to get cornered. He's going to this pier and it's like, all right, he has nowhere else to go. And he crashes into the ocean and the car sinks. And a little bit of money even appears on the surface, which a bunch of randos try to die for. And so the cops uh, end up doing this excavation type thing. They take a body out of the ocean with a clown outfit that Ken was wearing when he was doing the, the stick up thing. And it turns out to be the bedroom killer in the in the clown outfit and they found they they found their man the cops also only recover a few thousand bucks out of the water uh sam thinks barbara will finally get killed but then barbara surprisingly shows up the cops think barbara's been released and she identifies with 100 certainty that that was the kidnapper the bedroom killer she then beats the shit out of Sam while the detectives walk away with a job well done. Uh, in the, I love this is I think you can see some some flourishes of the Zucker brothers and Jim Abrams in this uh, with the phone calls, the split screen phone calls uh, with the misunderstandings and this thing going on in the background where Barbara is beating the shit out of Sam while the cops go and like, yeah, job well done. This is the most rewarding job ever. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> uh, this ends. Uh, this movie ends with Sandy on a beach somewhere and Ken shows up in diving gear with the briefcase. Barbara quickly joins them in the foreshadowing of her upcoming movie beaches. And uh, that is the movie ruthless people. What did you guys think? You want to go first, Aaron or me? Sure. No, I can go first. Um, I'm not sure I've ever seen this movie before. Uh, I, I thought I had, and maybe I've just seen pieces of it, but it's one of those experiences where, and I guess, you know, we're, Good night. Almost forty years from when this movie came out. Um, Shut up. <laughs> mm -hmm. I will not, sir. Uh, mm -hmm. But uh, but yeah. So it's it's been a while. Um, man, this movie is is so comedically intricate, and I love that. Like structurally, it's so well done. It relies on the beauty of convenience, right? Like the the people just have the police chief just happens to be the person who gets filmed, whatever happens. And then it relies on so many, probably the best example of double talk I've seen in a movie ever where mm. there are so many conversations when one person is talking about one thing and another person is talking about something completely different, but they're both making complete sense to each other, uh, mm -hmm. but completely missing you know that that they're on you know two different wavelengths even down to the the you were mentioning the police walking away at the end right down to that where the policeman turns to the other one and he's like you know i hope after 15 years of marriage art i have as much that much passion left in my marriage or whatever it's like completely misunderstanding you know what's going on uh on the pier um and i just think that to me there's an intelligence there that makes the comedy even better i i, I really really uh enjoy that i also think bet midler is just next level in this movie she is mm -hmm. so funny mm -hmm. um you mentioned uh, a lot of my favorite lines but when the well, lines but one that you mentioned is uh i've been kidnapped by kmart her delivery on that line is so perfect um mm -hmm. and uh got a big laugh in the room and i just i just think she's really <laughs> really really funny in this movie mm -hmm. um i also uh wanted to talk about um 
how stupid Bill Pullman's character is and mm. how the movie is able to pull this off. Um, it's almost Homer Simpson level of like absolute obliviousness. And, mm -hmm. and yet somehow you still feel like this is a human being in this movie. Um, the way he, uh, uh, idolizes Miami Vice, which is really, really interesting. Like he wears the white suit and the pink, yeah. you know, the pink uh, t-shirt at one point. His fish are named Crockett and Tubbs, I think. <laughs> he's um, not even, what's funny is he's only kind of sad. He's like, oh, Crockett and Tubbs. Then he's <laughs> <drops him laughs> saying yes. Yeah. What's in, what's interesting to me is is I looked it up. Miami Vice had only been on the air like two years when this movie came out. Like, mm -hmm. which means when they were making this movie, it was a brand new show. Like, wow. mm -hmm. I, it's it's wild to think you know because in hindsight like it became this you know huge thing. i think it ran for you know five years and became this big thing and you know really entered the zeitgeist but you know what an interesting character trait to put on somebody for a show that just started um and then to have it you know age that well uh mm -hmm. my son was amazed by the the mansion and how 80s it was Ooh, he was yeah. like this is the coolest house i've ever seen and i was like well i guess <laughs> i guess 80s style is is now cool again or something mm. but it was uh it was it was wild just to just to remember how pastel the 80s were and how mm. wild it was there's one point where danny devito sits down on one of the chairs and like tries to lean back and just ends up like reclining completely vertical on this chair because the chairs weren't designed for any ergonomic reason they just look weird um so uh yeah no i have plenty more i could say but i'll let jeremy talk for a little bit i had i had a lot of fun with this movie this was a fun my watch. number one note is god i love 80s movies that open with these drums these <laughs> semi-electronic sounding like when those drums kicked in that was an endorphin rush for me i felt mm -hmm. like there were about seven 80s movies about to start playing that <laughs> <laughs> um i loved that that immediately took me back a song um, by mick jagger of all things too yeah, it was yeah. very strange to hear that so uh i think midler's the star here far and away and i think that one of the things that makes her an exceptional uh actor um in our history along with devito is willingness to play terrible people mm -hmm. and just embrace like a lot of today's stars would be like i don't want to play somebody that icky i don't want to play somebody that in the 80s there was a lot more of this like playing bad guys for comedy's sake was a lot more common but mm -hmm. the movie's biggest the biggest regret i have is that we only get one super brief scene with midler and devito yeah. um if we could somehow have gotten a scene earlier, maybe before the plots kick in, where they could go at each other and just fight and be mean. Um, again, I hadn't, I had not seen this since the '80s, so it was basically like a, a, a completely new watch. And I, the whole time, I kept hoping, I hope they put them together in a scene. I hope they put them together in a scene. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I really loved the morgue scene, um, where especially the way the joke beats play out where the doctor pulls back the sheet. We cut to DeVito and he just very casually <laughs> goes, that's not her. And then we show the body and it's a black man. <laughs> and I could not stop laughing. Um, I knew the police chief being the guy on the tape reveal was coming, but his facial expression when it's it happens, so it's so good. I could not stop laughing. I think it's the single best like moment of the movie, that reveal, because it's held so perfectly it really is. for that moment. If you're watching the movie for the first time, that moment is a drop-dead gotcha moment. Um, oh, yeah. It's it's so good. Oh, yeah. Um, a couple lines that I loved, that I loved early on, DeVito's line reading of, I hate the way she licks stamps. Um, <laughs> this is my favorite. <laughs> line ever it's just so it's such a ridiculous thing i love the line um judge reinhold says after his wife is trying to explain no bet mittler's changed and he goes she changed what'd she do have an exorcism um, <laughs> a lot of really good uh dialogue in this um my last note here is i love i don't know why but that last moment on the beach where the music's kicking in we cannot hear them and they're walking away and Bette Midler does this little pantomime of kicking DeVito off the pier. Like she re mm -hmm. repeats the action. It was, I just thought it was freaking adorable. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I really, really enjoyed uh, this time through the movie. 
Uh, I do think Midler and and Pullman end up stealing the whole thing, though. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, and and uh, to to address uh, something you said, Dicer, I think what you're saying because the chat uh we had uh flyboy say miami vice was a phenomenon right out of the gate i think you're i think you acknowledging that yes the fact is that it's been a year it could be a twin peaks type of thing where it's right. done after the second season right it had it, it, it expended all of its energy in that first season and then it was you know second season it could be a, a stupid joke of course it, even if it is a stupid joke by that time it still works i think i think people mm -hmm. would know uh, what's going on, but it wouldn't have aged as well if Miami Vice hadn't lasted as long as it did. Right. So, I was trying to think of like a contemporary example of somebody putting something in a comedy, like a character owned by a show. And it'd been like maybe the year after Game of Thrones come out, you know, like one of the characters is super into Game of Thrones or, you know, whatever, and is dressing, dressing like a Dothraki or something, you know, and, mm -hmm. and cause that was, a, that was a behemoth right out of the gate too. So it like, it makes sense contextually in the time, but the fact that it makes sense 40 years later was not something I think they could have known for sure would have been the case. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And, um, and, and yeah, the, you know, discussion about Bette Midler's character being really hateful at the beginning, like, it's like annoying, very annoying. And you get this, you know, you, you understand what, where Danny DeVito is coming from as soon as, you know, cause she is just absolute firecracker this whole time, but it seems like she's just always like this, but you see a lot of depth in her, by by the end of this and yes by the end of it she's taken over on all uh taken over on this movie and uh and uh she becomes extremely memorable and great uh there's a trivia uh, item in the imdb that says that i think i think first danny devito called bet midler or met bet midler called danny devito i can't remember which one and they and congratulated uh her on the movie and then like 10 minutes later said something like oh this movie's terrible it's not gonna do anything and this movie ended up being a hit in 1986 uh mm -hmm. it was ninth i believe domestically um and ended up making like 72 to 80 million dollars somewhere around there um and uh i i had forgotten that this was uh actually a hit back in the day but uh, the reason why I picked it was I don't feel like we talk about it very often uh, no. anymore. And uh, but it's like a masterclass, I think, in plotting and and doing the farcical uh, kind of things where people know certain things that other people don't know. And like you said, they're talking two different languages, essentially, but they're understanding each other at the same time. It's beautiful. Um, yeah. So. I, uh, I, I just, I watch this movie and I'm, I'm amazed that it's not a bigger phenomenon. And I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to figure out what, it, and I think maybe it's the fact that it, that it's, that it's not full parody. So mm -hmm. it's, it's like farce, like it's on that line between like comedic farce and like full parody. And I think because Zucker Abram Zucker is so known for like the full parody kind of stuff, um, that maybe this one just gets lost in the shuffle. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I had a couple other thoughts. I, I is Helen Slater like a, a genuine like missed career? Like she's really good in this and believable. And um, like I know she did what was I looked it up. Uh, she did like the secret of my success. I think the next year. I mean, and then Super pretty Girl much just before that, Supergirl yeah. was like a supposed was well, supposed to be big. It was a I think it was a tremendous bomb, but. A lot of people who grew up in this era knew her as Supergirl, and then she even got cast in Seinfeld later because I think because Seinfeld loved her so much as Supergirl. But anyway, uh, yeah, she's yeah, great. I think I, so. I wonder if, like, honestly, my wife and I thought it was Meg Ryan uh, the first moment oh, she yeah. appeared on screen. She looks oh. a little like Meg Ryan, especially she when she looked like that era Linda Hamilton too. I, mm -hmm. I was, yeah. I was, I was I actually tried to look up and see if they like played sisters in a movie or something. Oh, wow. Uh, I went to the IMDB collaborations thing and no, they'd never been in anything together, but, uh, yeah, I, I think so. I think she definitely was on that career path where she could have been a lot bigger yeah. uh, during that time. So the only uh there were a couple other quotes i wanted to mention one of them is because it's a series of of lines that just slayed me 
because there's some real insight that this movie is giving to it's when um the guy falls in and the crowd is like someone help him he'll drown and then somebody's like the water's way too cold and then somebody's like oh, there's like riptides out there and then somebody's like i've even seen sharks and then somebody goes look that's money and everybody just jumps in <laughs> oh, yes, yes, <laughs> it's so yep. good oh, it's such God. a great commentary oh, <laughs> like, all these excuses for not saving someone's life but you know, a green rectangle appears on the surface, and everybody's like Greg Louganis all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah, Amazing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then uh, I think we could give a little more uh, love as well to Judge Reinhold, who I think has some great deliveries yeah. in this movie too. And the one that that got me was uh, after she's telling him the the old cliche. One of the ways the, you know '80s movies haven't always aged well, but the cliche of what happens when you go to prison. And uh, oh, yeah. and after she's done with that whole rant, Judge Reinhold goes, "You're very good at this. You should write children's books." <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> his delivery on it is so good, man. This movie made me laugh a lot. This is a really funny movie. I'm glad. I'm glad we watched it. It's good stuff. Yeah. All right. That uh, sounds like it's time for the super secret double feature. What'd you guys come up with? What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Be very, very quiet. Secret. What secret? I Dirty little secret. I tell you something I've never told anyone. Mm, you want to go first, Aaron? I've been talking a bit. Why don't you go, Jeremy? All right. Well, before I go, I want to I want to point out that way up in the, the chat earlier when we were talking about it, apparently that burger they were sizzling uh, was a tofu burger. I missed that, uh, oh. but it did not look like a tofu burger. It looked like a burger, and mm -hmm. whatever they called it, that was a burger. Okay. Um, <laughs> so my super secret double feature. Um, I actually, for the first time in weeks, had too many ideas to choose from, mm -hmm. too many that I thought sure. were good tonal matches. I was looking for um, communication misunderstandings. I was looking for really, really inept people being part of a caper. Um, so what I came down on was burn after reading. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, good choice. Yeah. Brothers, Brad Pitt. Um, in a very hilarious turn, believes that he has stumbled across CIA secrets when it's really just a former CIA agent's memoir. Uh, and he calls him to blackmail him and hijinks ensue. Uh, thinks he might be worried about your shit. The secrecy <laughs> of your shit. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, that is uh, a movie that I've seen two or three times that I think would just match up totally really yes, really it well would. <clears throat> so burn after reading um i had a couple thoughts i almost landed on dirty rotten scoundrels i think feels a lot mm. like this movie um there's a lot of those same kind of things um but i eventually went with a, a a bigger cast that i feels like kind of has more of the ins and outs in the comedy i i eventually went with a fish called wanda yeah. um for a nice double feature with the ruthless people lots of great misunderstandings here lots mm -hmm. of fun characters um lots of interesting uh you know things going on with people who are pretending to like each other but don't like each other uh so yeah there's there's a lot of nice little parallels in fish called wanda that i think would make it a good double feature and was uh was definitely considered to be this movie this uh this week uh oh, this and that's great. yeah then this was uh it's a great choice yeah all right um i believe okay is it aaron next it's aaron yeah. what's the movie we're gonna be watching for next week uh, in an attempt to steal Chris's uh, comedy choice from the aughts, um, no, not in an attempt. I actually just love this movie, and I think uh, it would be a fun one to go over. And, you know, uh, eventually I have to pick a movie that doesn't make people cry. Uh, I am going to go with uh, Hot Fuzz for uh, the <laughs> oh recommend, big recommend oh my. next week. We so. want to talk about a movie with detail in the comedy. Oh yeah, my. yeah, yeah. <laughs> So we'll do some back-to-back -back comedy and uh, and chat a little bit about Hot Fuzz next week. That means I'm oh. going to have to, like, punch people in the gut. I'm going to have to break hearts. Um, looks like Hot Fuzz is available on Amazon Prime right it now is. in America. Um, 
that somebody always knows what's going on in Canada in the chat. So you can check there for your Canadian needs. Um, You're going to have people in the gut. Yeah, Jeremy, am I, am, I, am I recommending a movie you don't want to watch again? Is that is that what I'm understanding? Like, you don't like this no, movie? you're understanding. I'm, I, I'm communicating poorly. Chris uh, just gave us a comedy that was uproarious. You're giving us a comedy that's uproarious. Uh, I feel oh, it's my duty to You have to give the gut punch movie. I'm going to have to pick something that is devastating. Yeah. Human centipede two weeks from now. Um, <laughs> there you go. Uh, we have time for a couple questions. Yeah, uh, I think so. Question. Question. I got something to say. I want the truth. I am listening. All right. Uh, Jeremy, get your shit together. What is a crossover you would love to see happen? Thought of this after watching the Super Troopers Starship Troopers Photoshop. After seeing the Photoshop. <laughs> um, I always thought it would be fun to marry uh, gremlins with the purge. Um, <laughs> where you have... Uh, <laughs> so, like, you know, both of these movies uh, focus on midnight as a, as, a, uh, as a sort of a time barrier thing. And, of course, I think it would be awesome if, you know, the... Uh, somebody who owns owns a little gizmo or whatever uh puts water on it and feeds the stuff after midnight and uh a bunch of gremlins pop up after once the purge is announced so then everybody comes out to do their purging but guess what they got to deal with the fucking gremlins now and uh that puts a whole bunch of uh you know monkey wrenches into the whole into the whole plan and everything and i think it would be hilarious <laughs> Uh, I went with uh, combining the universes of Lion King, the Lion King and uh, Planet of the Apes. Um, and just with the understanding that not only did the apes find sentience, but the lions did as well. And to realize that the Lion King world is our world just in the future uh, where the animals are the sentient ones. Mm. It would mm. revolve around, of course, these two um, ecosystems uh, meeting together and, and fighting some sort of war for dominance. Um, so, yeah, it'd be a war movie of some sort. I flirted mm. hard with just a completely random answer like Nixon and Flash Gordon. Um, but I ended up going with something I genuinely would want to see, and I'm ashamed about it. Uh, but G.I. Joe and Transformers, I think there was originally maybe even a plan to do this. Uh, oh, it's yeah, there's it's it's the seed has been planted. And mm -hmm. uh, growing up, those were the two cartoons that were on constantly when I got home from school. And so that would very much hit me in the nostalgia wheelhouse, um, <clears throat> even though they really haven't made a good transformers or gi movie yet. No. um maybe they could you know by putting them together they could i see that slab is sending us all to hell by combining alien and passion of the christ in the chat <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm, yep predator and the uh, most dangerous game from josh zero oh, yeah. um oh gobots and transformers that's a good one too oh yeah 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 for sure um, you got uh, time for one more i guess yeah let's do one more i think we need one more What's a movie you thought was huge, only to realize it was only huge in your household? Um, you know, I don't know if I, if like the entire family thought this was a big movie, but back in the eighties, when I used to, when we first got HBO and there would be all these movies that would play, I thought that some of this stuff was like some of the biggest hits ever. So like the last starfighter used to play a bunch on HBO back in this day. And I used to watch the last starfighter a bunch. I don't remember anything about the movie now to this day. Like it's been since 1987 or whatever, since I've seen that movie. But, um, but I remember thinking the last starfighter was one of the biggest hits that had ever come out. And then you find out later it was not, it was not one of the biggest hits ever. So, uh, that's, that's, that's one. I even thought the never ending story was a really big hit and it was only a mild, uh, hit back in the day. So a lot of the stuff that came out on HBO, I thought they were huge, but that one in particular, I think, you know, growing up, I was aware that a lot of my media was sanctioned off. Like I was huge in the, the, the Christian subculture bubble. So I knew things that like I watched, like, I don't know, Jeremy, if you ever saw this, but there was a musical called Sneakers that like, you know, everybody knew or whatever. But I was aware that like that wasn't like a, a big deal uh, in the big world. So when I would see like mainstream movies, I think, oh, everybody knows these movies. Um, uh, one of those was uh, Flight of the Navigator, 
was one I was just like that, you know, everybody has to know that movie and it has to be huge. But the one I think best fits this category for me is Swing Kids. I thought Swing Kids must have been the biggest hit of all time. That thing made no money. Nobody really cared about it. It wasn't even, you know, reviewed well. But I just thought like, man, Robert Sean Leonard and Christian Bale and like, you know, uh, it's Nazis and Kenneth Brano because apparently he just does Nazi stuff. That's what he does. Um, so, yeah, Swing Kids is probably my answer for this one. I mean, similarly to you, I mean, the, the answer to this is just going to be what we watched the most growing up mm -hmm. before we really got cultured. Uh, and I was in the Christian bubble, so I saw movies like Jesus of Nazareth, which was actually mm -hmm. a miniseries. But I remember in school later, somebody talking about Olivia Hussey and me referencing Jesus of Nazareth and being mm -hmm. laughed at for not <laughs> referencing, uh, what was it, uh, Romeo and Juliet? Or I think she was in something else too, Camelot. I'm not sure. Um, <clears throat> yeah, uh, it was Romeo that, and Juliet was the big one. That yeah. Amazing Grace and Chuck movie. I don't know if you guys ever saw oh, that movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We watched that movie a lot, and none of my peers knew what the hell I was talking about with regard to that. Uh, but personally, and I've talked about this before, probably the biggest answer for me would be Candleshoe, which is this Jodie Falk mm. Disney mm. adventure, which we big recommended on this show, I think, while Chris was out. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And it, it holds up pretty well, but it was not a major hit, and nobody my age that I knew watched it. And I still watched it like a hundred times. I watched it over and over and over. So, um, over in the chat, we've got Cloak and Dagger, which is another one that I considered. By the way, it was another one that I used to see a bunch back in the eighties. Um, uh, and I actually do remember that one. I watched that one a ton, or whatever. That's not my name. Says never ending story was definitely a hit. I don't know. 20 million it made in the, even in the eighties, it feels like it, it's on the lower end or at least just a mid range hit, not a huge hit. Uh, but uh, let's see. Um, Princess Bride. Yeah, that's a good one. Princess Bride was another, that's a famously didn't do well in theaters. It took, it took about five years for that movie to be uh, picked up on VHS and everything. That's bad. That's about the time where I watched it mm -hmm. was uh, 1992 around that area um uh flyboy says the man in the gray flannel suit with gregory peck uh little princess secret garden secret of the roninish i think i'm saying some of that wrong uh but i remember little princess and secret garden are fantastic movies that nobody ever talks about alfonso mm. quaron did L little princess yep uh it's a really really good movie um and uh let's see what else oh yeah explorers from the 80s that's another yeah. one that's, got, like, yeah, that's another big one so um so there you go um well there you go that, that some good questions and uh and everything uh so this is going to wrap up the show hey guys chat thank you so much for coming out once again uh uh always bring it i love it i love it i love it i love you guys and i love you guys i love you guys you two guys so much i bumped my mic uh, <laughs> absolutely next week will be hot fuzz can't wait to talk about that that movie is insanely good uh, but uh, that's going to do it for this week. So we'll see you next time. See ya. Bye. Be a part of the live show by being a member of the Sin Club at Patreon at patreon.com slash cinemasins. Chat with us on the Cinemasins Discord at discord.gg slash cinemasins or Cinemasins Twitter at cinemasins and email any comments or questions to recotopia at cinemasins.com. That's R-E-C-O-T-O-P-I-A at cinemasins.com. I was sending my wife a text this morning. A text? A text. Okay. And uh, I, I put a smiley emoji at the end. Uh -huh. and, um, in the history of our phones and marriage, that has always been that little smiley, just a little bigger than like a capital text letter, right? Mm -hmm. Today, the emoji took up half my phone screen. So I immediately texted again saying, holy fuck, why is that emoji so huge? And she was like, I don't know. What's going on? Do we need to talk about the Super Bowl? I, we don't oh. need to, but... <laughs> I mean, I flipped over the golf. The golf tournament was insane because of bad weather. So they ended up playing like 30 holes on Sunday and it went well into the night. And so I ended up flipping over to watch the playoff of the golf uh, and then flip back to the game when that was over. I'm pretty sure I had seen that Phoenix Open stuff before and I was about to like text you or, or slack you or something and go, what the fuck is the deal with this golf tournament? It's amazing. Because... <laughs> because 
I didn't I didn't remember. I knew I had seen something like this before, but I was at a poker thing and they had this on and it was like all these people are cheering all over the place and like it seems like they're on the same hole at all times and like and then I was just like I was just about to go what the, what is the deal with this tournament? What's going on with this thing? I have no idea what's going on. Is it 15? Is it, I forget which 16. hole it is. 16. 16. What yeah. you saw, Chris, was two years ago, a guy got a hole-in-one, and I sent you guys on Slack video of the oh, crowd okay. throwing beer cans. They like dented anything the hell goes. out of the green. Um, <laughs> it was bad. And so they switched to, like, plastic cups after that. It has always, <laughs> for 20 years, it's been a rowdy tournament, the tournament where you can get rowdy and loud. But mm -hmm. this year, it finally went too far, because both a, a bunch of weather delays and then mm. because there were Saturday and Sunday were super long days of golf with 20, 30 holes of golf being played, people just got overserved. So they were wasted. Mm. And so yeah. people started like screaming during people's backswings. And mm. that's why there's video of Billy Horschel like cussing at a guy saying, I'm doing my fucking job. And then uh, a couple of pros are like, I'm never going back to this tournament. Uh, wow. I don't know, man. Like, Fuck it, with. one one tournament out of the year where this happens you you don't expect this type of thing to happen i mean i know that going to a backswing is a dick move but you don't expect this type of thing to happen at this point you should really be prepared for that i say i i genuinely i feel a little bit different <clears throat> i think anything should go scream during the back is you know swing every like we don't think people are you know bad people for screaming during a free throw attempt you know what i mean like it's there's something about sports that's like oh, okay you you have it is different but it's only different because it's been different right and so it's interesting to think of golf or tennis or these like quiet sports as like what if the crowd was able just to do whatever they want affect the the play how you know, I mean, within reason, you can't go on the field or, you know, like block a shot or whatever. But you have to change the structure then, man, because right. everybody who missed the cut, they lost money going to this tournament. Right. And if you play bad because of the crowd, they just have to change the structure. And I, they're going to change a bunch, I'm sure, by next year. Yeah, I bet. But yeah, people just got too drunk and things went overboard. But there have always been, I read an article the other day just running down all the shit that's happened. There was there have been a, streakers, there have been... This year, there was a guy in a kilt who ran onto the green and mooned the <laughs> um, This year, lots of stories of hours-long bathroom lines and not enough concessions. Mm. People just got drunk and angry. Why do, why do um, things like this always drop the ball when it comes to restrooms and water and things like that? Why do they always drop the ball on this? This the is only like the place number one basic thing. The only place I've ever been that doesn't is the Masters, and they're so rich they don't care, to, so they just throw money at. So that's a well-oiled machine. But you're right; every other golf tournament, sporting event, concert that I've ever been to, the, the bathrooms, and water, and concessions—it's always never enough. What was it? Was it Woodstock '99 or whatever that like oh, the documentaries God. recently came out about? And I mean, people yeah. knew what was going on there, but to just see it all laid out like that was. Woodstock '99, yeah, this is another one. That was that was uh, yeah, they they did they didn't do a lot of things right. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, maybe when in my young twenties, I might have thought something like this sounds fun, like or like Bonnaroo. You talk, you tell me about the Bonnaroo experience, and and it sounds like hell. It sounds mm -hmm. like actual hell. Nobody's yeah. showering. Uh, mm -hmm. everyone's on drugs, you're dirty, you're intense, there's sweaty bodies all around you. Nothing about I, that sounds fun. I mean, I hated, I mean, I, I enjoyed going to concerts the, when we had Starwood and whatever, and it was the outdoor arena, but like, you know, in the summer it would be super hot and I wouldn't want to, I mean, it, after three hours, you're like, please get me out of here. At yeah. Bonnaroo, I mean, yeah, I mean, I know you can like leave whatever, but like, like you're gonna be there for whatever 12 15 hours watching concerts and and stuff and and you know hoping to be able to cool down somewhere if if you were lucky enough to have a tent or camper or something yeah sounds like hell mm -hmm. i wouldn't want to do no. it now not no. not my That's, thing I've always... that was the thing i went to um ascend to watch uh jimmy Eat world and manchester orchestra wow yeah, it was it was good. They even uh, Jimmy Eat World and Manchester Orchestra even 
combined or or teamed up to do each other's songs on an album. So oh, like there cool. was there's so on one side it's Jimmy World doing a Manchester Orchestra song, and then the other side it's Manchester Orchestra. That's awesome. Jimmy World song. And uh, I bought a package. I bought like some sort of VIP type of package or whatever to get the the record and get some t-shirts and all sorts of other stuff when I went here. And I figured you would go to the place and they would just be like, oh, that? Oh, you? it's right over there. But nobody at the venue knew what the hell I was talking about. It was like, I went, I was talking to people They were like, oh yeah, that's over there. And you went over, I had to go out of the venue to oh go back to this one spot. And then they told me, no, that's not this, that's some other thing. Then I had to go back in and, you know, had to go through the whole trouble of like, you've already been in and you went out. Oh my God, the horror. And, and I'm like, yeah, I know I was told I could do this and the other thing. And I would be able to get back in. And they were like, oh, okay. And then I asked this other stand where it was, and they were like, mm, I don't know. And um, I don't know what eventually happened. Somebody finally knew. I finally found somebody who's like Mr. Ascend, and uh, they were able to like point me out to some table where they were set up. And it's at some other far entrance in the thing, and you would never have known it was there if you didn't go through that one entrance and it doesn't say on the thing, come through this one entrance to whatever. So it took forever to get that thing. Yeah. You probably felt like you were taking crazy pills. Mm-hmm. I did. Well, cause nobody at the freaking venue knew what, it, what was going on. Probably follow on Twitter much. Um, but there was David Crumholtz, who's our new best friend. <laughs> right, um, right, right. Had a huge thread yesterday. That was a super entertaining read. And it's about, um, it starts with filming Santa Claus 2 in Vancouver. <laughs> and it rained the whole time. And Tim Allen's a huge star who had a hard out at 3 p.m. every day. All the kids, there were 100 kids and 100 moms on set. They had a hard out at 3 p.m. And then Krumholtz would film opposite tennis balls on sticks. Um, and he's basically went into this great depression um, during that time in his life. Then he flashes forward several months later and Disney calls and says, hey, we're going to fly you and two friends down to Disney World to be in the Christmas parade since you were in the Santa Claus too. And that's the theme this year for the parade. And he was like, wicked. He was like, so mm -hmm. I took my friend and my weed dealer. <laughs> <laughs> we, we didn't bring any weed, but we brought uh, Vicodin. Um, oh, and basically oh. the story is he's high out of his mind and he goes mm -hmm. to this place for the Christmas pro, uh, parade the day of and they had given them hotel rooms fast passes on all the rides the previous days and he shows up and they want him to wear this Bernard costume which immediately gave him PTSD but mm -hmm. also they didn't have the wig or one other part they had the ears and like the, the torso costume mm -hmm. and he thought it would be it was going to be incredibly stupid to be half in costume and he didn't nobody had told him about this he called his agent they were like no they didn't tell me about this so we refused to put it on um and so they do the parade and he's in the carriage and hillary duff is behind him lip syncing because she did a song on the soundtrack and at one point he turns around and smiled at her and she went what the fuck and he was like okay don't look at hillary duff anymore um, <laughs> They do the whole of the parade and then they gather everybody up because they're going to sing We Wish You a Merry Christmas. But before they start singing, they're just kind of mingling. And there's a, a blue bear character in the Disney park who's like eight feet tall and it's a character in a suit and it's a man in there. Mm -hmm. Bear in the and big they, blue house, I think you. You're okay, so they kind mm -hmm. of bonded for a second. Then this guy walks up, introduces himself to Krumholtz as the director and says, I understand you refuse to wear the suit. And Krumholtz was like, well, yeah, nobody told me about that and it was only half there the director goes you really put us in a bind and walks away what? <laughs> <laughs> and the bear suit guy goes what the fuck um what's so special about hero bread soft fluffy and delicious breads buns and tortillas these ultra low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar fewer calories and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health shop now at hero.co